1: I'm glad that you're here. Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan, and we're going to start the show off with a song called Rather Low by Nick shoulders
2: Well, my eyes adjust, my joints are rusty, sheets are off.
1: Welcome you. This is your host, Alan, and uh, glad you're here. It's another episode of Porch Talk. During this quarantine time, we are burning the phone lines out to the Ozarks. It's the catch-up of a singer-songwriter, artist, Nick Shoulders, and I'm so glad to have him on. So, Nick, how you doing, brother?
3: Can't complain. How about you, Radio Land?
1: <laughs> yes, sir, man. It's good to have you on here. <laughs> and, it is uh, good. Man, uh, just during this time, any time to be able to kind of make this kind of connection, it's just kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a good getaway.
3: It, it sure is. I, I was just going to say, it's, it's nice to just kind of like have a conversation outside of uh, the ones that I normally do, because you, you get used to talking to strangers, and well, you know, band stuff is all about talking to strangers. You're on the road, and that's half of what you're doing, but it's kind of cool to feel normal again and talk about music things and do music things.
1: Right, man. And so, man, just to spend a little time with you, um, Nick, just getting familiar with your music, I just want to know where it came from. And so if you can give me a backdrop, like where you're from, and uh, what did that look like growing up?
3: Well, I'm originally from uh, out west of Little Rock, Arkansas. We were kind of at the dead end of a road, and I, I got the benefit of having a lot of space growing up. Um, a lot of logging property, it's... Uh, the Washita Foothills, Washita Mountains, that is. And I had a, uh, my, my folks, my parents weren't necessarily musical, but I've got a grand, both grandparents on all, all sides were singing and whatnot. I, I had a grandpa that recorded some country politan and kind of weird, warbly gospel stuff in the 80s. And so I was around a lot of this music, but I think I, uh, I mostly learned to interact with early country through my grandpa's kind of, he would bring a boombox and just sort of sing. Yeah, and i uh, i I don't think i I don't think I loved it. I kind of made fun of it and figured out how to how to do that vibrato and stuff. But we eventually moved up to the Ozarks when I was young and had more property up there and kind of interacted with some uh, some banjo, fiddle, old time music stuff. But mostly, I was I kind of had these bird call whistles and yodels that I figured out by being able to whoop and holler with my neighbors. Like I just always had the space and uh always had this kind of like affinity for nature i've got more of a natural science background than anything i grew up as a snake nerd and catching turtles and lizards and all sorts of fun (laughs) stuff like that we're gonna get
1: along just fine you and i
3: (laughs) yeah i was a creepy crawler guy i was all about uh all about that sort of thing so like i like fishing but i kind of like like it when the fish bite you so i got into like snakes and lizards and turtles and all that stuff and so I was really just immersed in nature and eventually uh, realized that this kind of skill set that I developed, uh, the yodels and whoops and hollers and bird calls and all the weird noises that were really a product of my environment, had sort of this skill set, novel use in like traditional country music. And I'd, I did uh, punk rock bands and metal bands and played mostly drums and stuff when I was young. I didn't actually pick up guitar until a few years ago, but... I was a drummer and just wanted to be part of the, like, loudest, most pissed off music you could hear, and so that's what I did for ages, just kind of having this novel set of uh, country skills behind me, and then eventually I uh, moved out of Arkansas and started living in my band and traveling and then kind of got to know the weirdo, uh, sort of reform punk traditional music, uh, traditional country music that is uh, seen that exists out there, and I really sort of tapped into that, and I was like, well, this is... These folks are doing stuff that I like. This is this is hot. This is relevant. This is uh, this is fun music, and I have this skill set and this background that you know have a have a place there, and I've I've got something to say. So I think I should should pitch uh, should pitch in on this. So I moved to New Orleans and started writing songs and trying to put a country band together two years ago, and well, here we are.
1: Right. And so, man, well, um, let let's back up a little bit. I want to unpack some of that with you, man. I relate completely with you is um, my mother, when I was a child, um, there was a rule laid out just for me that I had to unload my pockets before I would walk in the door. Because, I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, we spent time down at the creek bed. And Mm -hmm. uh, I would put, like, frogs and little snakes and lizards in my pocket. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
1: like, before my mom got wise to it, (laughs) you know, she would be doing laundry and, like, finding all these things and be like, what in the world? <laughs> and so like, like rule number one, okay, it's time to come in and clean up, but first you got to unload your pockets. But I mean, I got crickets. I got, you know, everything that I had done that day, I had in my pockets. Mm-hmm. And um,
3: man,
1: I, I mean, get it. I get
3: it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, every time I run into somebody who's like that, it's always like this funny kindred spirit moment. It's like, Oh God, sir, that snake kid too. But <laughs> yeah. we had, we had our property that I grew up on was, a, it was a nice little wooded patch of, uh, of kind of Ozark Timberland in the middle of a decent sized town, you know, Fayetteville is like a small college town. And my, I could walk from a, you know, from our holler to a Confederate cemetery and a public library yeah. in the same amount of time. Like, you know, it's just, it was small town, but with this, this woodland thing going on and, uh. It was a you know a skirmish battle for or a skirmish field from the Battle of Fayetteville and uh, had these like springs and rocks and little caves and all sorts of stuff and it it, it was just a, a delight for anybody that's trying to find stuff that that bites and creeps and crawls night. Yeah, my mom right. actually I first started doing laundry because my mom was tired of getting. Uh, poison ivy from handling my clothes after i come in from the woods so that's right that that was my intro I was like no i'm done with this you are washing your pants you're washing all your stuff i'm totally done
1: with this uh-huh yeah man it was uh it's totally it's it's just like that it's like um if i want to know what alan has done today i just will ask him to empty his pockets <laughs> it's like yeah he's been fishing he's got crickets in his pockets <laughs> <laughs> But hey, uh, well, growing up in the Washingtons, we had crystals everywhere. So
3: that was my problem. That was a rock I picked up four Oh man. Weird, twisted up. Oh yeah. That. My, my my pockets were often heavy.
1: Yeah, I thought I was. uh I thought I was Indiana Jones. The only difference between me and him was I wasn't afraid of snakes. Because you know it was, <laughs> it was. Uh, man, I was collecting rocks. You know, I I had the best rock collection of any eight year old. Oh, I bet. I know about <laughs>
3: that one
1: little bit. Yeah. And uh, that was the thing, man. And so, I mean, just as you were growing up, um, you, you mentioned like your, your grandparents and having a bit of part of the scene. What were some of them early influences, like maybe riding in mom and dad's car or just at home uh, that you were listening to that kind of got you into music?
3: Well, I, like I mentioned, my, uh, my parents, weren't uh musicians but my dad was uh very musical if that makes sense his dad was like a multi-instrumentalist i have his yeah. fiddle and uh, had his guitar and uh you know that was uh, hearing him really just sort of know how to carry a note and then also whistle uh really got me into music i think initially my my dad's a fantastic whistler and as i understand it his dad, for him, was an incredible whistler.
1: And well, I think you got the genes right there, man. Cause like that was one of the right. things. Like uh, the first video of yours that I saw, it was on uh, Western AF on YouTube, and uh, it was the uh, I think it was the yodeling that was the draw to the video, but then like mm-hmm. I heard the whistling, and I was like, man, like you don't hear that. I was like, that guy's got a background. Like they've they've done some things.
3: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I can't deny that that is that was probably i mean i claim that whistling's my first instrument I, I did learn how to play my teeth pretty young but i think uh at about nine years old or so i, I realized i might be about as good a whistler as my dad and i was like all right well what's next and and yeah. then I, I heard uh i heard slim whitman on mars attacks and uh i just you know i think i had the bug in me for uh traditional country stuff, like I said, I got I got dragged to like like Audubon Ecology Camp and loved it. And they had like the old counselors were playing banjos, and fiddles, and like, you know, there's stuff like that where you, you could hear sort of the, the ancestral music of the region around. But really, I was drawn to rock and roll and stuff really because, you know, it's like any small town weirdo, most people in the South don't love that they're from the South until they kind of step outside of it and get... A, a little more context on the world at large and so
1: absolutely i think
3: i really just i just wanted to play rock and roll when i was young just being the loudest most pissed off stuff you can imagine but it took time to realize i was actually qualified for the country and that i'd kind of just been limping along in the other thing
1: yeah man yeah i i gravitate toward uh other the narrative that you just threw out there it's like kennedy the the small town that i'm here in alabama it's like uh wisteria on the trees and uh uh, at eight o'clock at night, if you haven't done what you wanted to do, you're done unless you want to go on to the next town. All right. And, um, I mean, you'd have, if you blinked, you would miss it if you were riding through. And, and so like, I, I was, I was that same way. Like, uh, it it was always like a different context of what was locally known to, I guess, the region, you know, it was digging a little bit deeper in music. And it it, it was just, it was good influences. Like, it was just like my older brother's friends, and by some good miracle, um, they had been exposed to some really good music that opened my eyes early, that really made me energized and wanted to be around different kind of music and be a part of it. And
3: and there's so many many of us, too, of us little, you know, weirdos from any town USA that, you know, our firm regions that don't reflect
1: what we get into young, and then eventually it like gravitates back towards it. Yeah, man. And so, I mean, just just as you was getting up out of high school and all that, and I know uh, you gave the synopsis early on, but um, you know, your early or late teenage years, early twenties, like, uh, was music something that you were fully pursuing, or like? Uh, what did that kind of look like for you at first what what were you trying to do
3: well i was so deep in being like you know uh, king of the pit like i you know i just like went to every hardcore show and i had like you know nothing but drums on my mind but i wasn't doing so hot in school and i missed my chance to be a scientist cuz i just didn't wasn't passing any classes so i realized that I had enough of a skill set in art and been doing enough art stuff my, life, my whole life that I should probably try to go to art school so I I've moved to Denver for a year and a half and tried to try to do art school out there and you know I, I learned a lot but basically learned that I didn't want to be in art school <laughs> yeah and and uh, also I went from sort of like I'm stealing classic country off of the internet and like you know listen to my grandpa's tapes and you know whistle and play harmonica, but, like, I wasn't really uh, interested in making traditional music, uh, per se, and then moving to Denver, I got so miserably homesick so quickly. I never lived in a in a town... Like, there are more people in Denver than the whole state of Arkansas. So yeah. I, like, I went from, like, zero to, oh, God, I hate this, and so I bought a banjo and started, like, learning Clawhammer and really traditional stuff. I drifted to do a lot of Ozark old-time music. There's a lot of really specific uh, old-time traditions that are connected to kind of the Appalachian heritage of the settlement of the Ozarks also mixed in with some interesting localities and history that just, you know, make this a unique mute form anyway. So, like, I got into that Ozark stuff, and then that eventually kind of led me to realize, like, you know, I've been learning how to do these yelp and holler break note things. I I was a Hank Williams impersonator by 17. You know, like, I figured out all these ways to... (laughs) to yelp and whoop and holler and do the yeah. ugly stuff but i i suddenly realized i had been completely ignoring the music for my family my grandparents and everything that i had access to and that's from more of a deep south like my my family has been in arkansas since 1850 but down at the deep part of the state like almost Louisiana, and they all sing with that deep south vibrato and all that projection and stuff and i realized that i had basically just missed out on that entirely so i started like really pouring myself into that style of singing in my
1: mid-twenties, and that's kind of led up to now. But it took a minute to figure out. That's what I was missing out on. Yeah, man. Like, uh, I totally, totally relate to that. Like, coming from Kennedy, um, I did community college, and I worked for a year, and I was just completely dissatisfied with everything. And so I thought I would give college another shot. And uh, I went down to the University of Mobile, and uh, I was doing some uh, cultural and religious studies, and I had music as a minor. And um, Mobile um, times my county, it would be like my county population made over maybe 10,000 times. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I felt like a really big fish musically. In my area, I had, you okay. know, I had, I had, I played every week, you know, uh, whatever I was doing. Like I, I was, I, I felt confident there. Okay. And then I, and then I go to Mobile and I get in this music program, and I feel like I am the smallest fish in this the biggest pond. I feel like I'm in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: totally. That that that'll do it because I didn't really. Per-
1: view any music in Denver at all. Like, I was totally scared out of it. And it, it totally backed me down. I was like, I'm gonna be in the choir, and I'm just gonna sit back, and I'm just gonna watch. And I'm just gonna see what I can learn. I was like, I feel I feel just like I'm in the wrong place. I don't know how I even was allowed to be here. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's that's how I feel. I think it was really I was brave. It was an aspiration uh, to, go, to go to Denver, and I I think it also just felt like the closest relevant city. It's like, oh, yeah, that's going out west. Yeah, Denver, you know, that's, that's, that's crazy far away. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it just ended up bumming me out. But I moved straight back to Arkansas after being out there not that long, and I just sort of hung out for a few years. I ended up getting picked up as a harmonica player, banjo player, for uh, Sean James uh, for a minute when he was getting started. And then No way. I, yeah, that was that was one of my early gigs and yeah uh, he was he's right. been on the show i oh, no kidding yeah sean's, sean's a great dude i'm i'm uh, it's funny kind of how it all panned out because i was in his band and you know helping really at the very very beginning when things were getting started and i was in there for about two years and he and i finally like parted ways where i just needed to be in my own kind of zone because i i did you know i didn't sing in that band i didn't uh, participate with any of the songwriting i was I was a backing player and I, I was ready to do that at first and I think that's valuable for a lot of people. Like I'm I'm born a backing player. I started yeah. in drummer. I you know, I I did that first and foremost and I think that like really helps you interact with the band long term. But you know, I was starting to think about what I wanted to actually put out music wise and do more of my own thing. So I went from like being in a bunch of thrash bands in Arkansas and like going off to Tron to slowly living in my van for two and a half years, and lived out west for a bit, and you know, sold art, and uh, busked on the streets and whatnot. Like, I was playing mostly on the streets and singing for a solid year and a half, like, not booking any shows, not uh, playing in clubs or venues, just playing busking, and uh, had, you know, the year before that been touring in an RV or out in the country and in Europe. (laughs) I went from kind of having, like, a cushy spot in somebody else's band to totally starting at square one, so... That's a
1: weird experience, but it was it was fun in respect. Yeah, man. That's that's crazy and like man I would like to spend just a little bit more time right there with buskin. Uh, just for mm-hmm. listeners, you know, like um, a lot of people may not be familiar with what buskin is, so like, just give us a better like what does that look like to the day to day? I mean you're you're playing the streets.
3: Right, yeah. It's uh it's definitely you know, you strategize with your parking. Like, okay, if I'm parked here for $2 an hour, I've got to make 10 bucks to be able to make any money today. And so then you walk down with your equipment, rain or shine or whatever, and find a spot. Hopefully it's not taken. And this is in like a high foot traffic kind of zone, places people shop and whatnot. You've all seen them. Yeah. And then you hope you don't have anybody that's uh, better than you or louder and more annoying than you nearby. Uh, and then you just start playing and, and I really think I, I've happened into a pretty golden spot in terms of uh, influences because right as I got the van, I started traveling and playing on the street more. I also had that realization that I was talking about that you know I had the music in my family, these singers that I were alive and then I had sung with and been around my whole life that had this connection to this very, very old gospel singing technique. Yeah. Of just using all that vibrato and, and underpitch and stuff, and I was like, "Wait, what am I doing? Like, this is how you get heard. This these things are from before microphones because you had to be heard across a huge room." Right. So basically, I, I started busking and realizing that about the singing and like really kind of redesigned how I've been approaching music to be able to project across a busy street or like a crowded street corner. And you know, I went all over the West. I was in every all the cities all the weird marketplaces and bar strips and stuff and I've gotten uh, gotten kicked out of places and uh, wealth others you know there's, there's just a million ways the bus can go well or badly but I'm I really you. think I happened into the culture in New Orleans because that's where like people make a living also playing the streets in New Orleans and I was like wait this is something different like all these people are professional but they're like down to play on the street <laughs> it's not just like people selling crystals and like singing tom petty songs or whatever like these folks are really like into it so that was that was really where i felt like i I found a home was in that sort of busking dance crossover culture in new orleans
1: yeah man Uh, i'm just thinking about that just unpacking that a little bit just finding that rhythm and like you're talking about finding your sound and so at what part in your life were you at like toward doing your own songwriting informing what you have going on now
3: well i was like i mentioned i've been in a million loud bands and i was doing mostly that and you know i couldn't play guitar in standard i was playing uh like open beat live guitar uh db like you know yelling noise bands yeah and so when i when i started busking that was about two years that i guess towards the end of my busking van career um my grandma I litter she had an accident and burned their feet really bad, so I moved back to Little for like nine months and helped with my grandma and was kind of just immersed back in all that old music and being in Little where my family's been for a few generations and like kind of being back in the actual deep south, I think I like between a combination of boredom and uh, and influence started writing uh, stuff that eventually became like early OK Crawdad and I guess that would have been... uh, yeah, the spring of 2017. So Really, I, I only picked up a guitar and played it in standard and figured out how to write these sorts of songs like three years ago. Like, I really... I went straight from, like, not doing any of this stuff to uh, to really going for it. And uh, it's it's been remarkable how, how quickly it's, it seemed to pick up. But uh, there was a lot of hard work that went in before that. It's not like I kind of just, like, happened on country music and I was like, oh, really? cool. <laughs> yeah, cool, I'm going to do this. Like, I, I've been... You know, I've been reluctant to, to pick up this this sound in a way because I felt like I'd been so drawn to other things, but this is really what I feel like I owe to myself to play because it's what I'm actually qualified
1: to do. Right, man. I'll tell you the big kick about it, um, I believe, this is just me personally, is, and now just sitting down and hearing a little bit of the story, is um, I love the blues, man. Like... Uh, You know, I'm in Alabama, and I got these old hill country blue players from the Delta and Mississippi, and I'm surrounded in these pines by this great music heritage, and you are too, especially Mm -hmm. when you get down there in New Orleans, and you're just north of it in Fayetteville. And, like, I think what is most addictive about your sound, at least for me, is the fact that it comes from somewhere, and the moment you hear it, it's representative of something. And you can immediately put your finger on it. And mm. that, that's the importance of it. To me, Is like, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed, like, since I've found your music, listening to it because I can put my finger on it. Like, I know where that comes from. I was like, right. I'm, I'm, I, I relate, like, that comes from this part of America, and it makes me think of that. And I'm proud of that heritage like you you, mm-hmm. you found the stamp
3: right it, it, it stamps me first you know I' like oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a part of my environment in a very like literal way and I think that's maybe what I think the term country music's a little bit inaccurate for the genre but it does when you when you put it that way in terms of like where it actually physically comes from like yeah I, I'm carrying all of this without without meaning to or knowing how to stop it like I am just fully a product of my environment and uh you know i I appreciate that that that's what you walked away from it with because that's really kind of what the point of it all is like you know there's there's a bunch of things around it but at the core it's that you know landscape can leave an indelible imprint on people's the way they sing the way they think the way everything happens for them and i think there's less and less of that to an extent in music, and so I, I agree. I feel a little alien sometimes, but it's it's nice to still be out here doing what people no. have been doing for
1: a long time. Let's just talk a little bit about today, man. Like uh, OK, Crawdad, and uh, what you have going on. Uh, maybe apart from that, uh, let's get a landscape for that. So uh, we're in quarantine right now, and so. I guess go back to early 2020 or late 2019, and let's talk a little bit about that and how that's kind of shaped.
3: Well, yeah, it's uh, I've uh, I've been accused of being a bloomer, a pervert. Uh, I, you know, I'm a science, so when I see fragile systems, I just get freaked out. So I've I've kind of been doing something to the extent of we have to get this album out before. Something terrible happens uh, for most of the fall leading up to 2020, uh, and i no one told me this because I'm not good at this stuff. I'm a one-man operation. I don't have any professional experience or like grounding in the industry, so no one's supposed to release a record in jane or December, right? And I didn't know that, so I just yeah. like wanted the record out basically because I did a demo in 2017 EP in 2018. So 2019 had to have the full-length record, the first record, you know? Yeah. So I, I put it out in December, and immediately was sort of floored and really humbled by the response. People were into it, and it just was picking up and picking up, and, you know, it suddenly wasn't incredibly hard to book shows, and I was, uh, you know, I've had, basically, uh, was able to book my entire uh, summer into the fall, over the course of early 2020, and, I had uh let's see I would have been in Fort Collins last night driving through Oklahoma today on tour but that's obviously not happening and I uh, has stuff planned for Australia this summer which may not happen and was supposed to play all over the East Coast and fly out to California in June like there's all sorts of cool stuff and I hope some of it still happens later in the year but really it was just just booking and planning and then this all of course happened and <clears throat> I guess uh I don't I don't want to like make any gloomy projections about New Orleans, because I dearly love New Orleans, but the place doesn't handle disasters well. It's sort of historically proven, and I couldn't really be the transplant there, taking resources from older folks who might need it. So I uh, I opted to exercise my uh, my ability as a archie living one state north and just uh, scuttle up to the mountains and ride it out. and it's, It felt like the, the right decision, but it's just been really uh, <laughs> and, Beyond surreal kind of watching a career start, I mean, it's it what it feels like. People are paying attention, the music's doing well, and that's something I couldn't have imagined a few months ago that it would actually right. work. <laughs> and uh,
1: yeah.
3: and just know that that's all happening sort of in this vacuum, because I don't know when that can the road, and I don't know uh, what it all kind of means, but uh, it's, it's so encouraging to see people getting something out of the music when when trap times are weird like I've been getting so many encouraging responses that it's helping folks and that just feels so good and so surreal that I can't can't do what I do best I think which is perform and play and travel around and I think that's really just been the strangest part about the today is that you know things are working but I'm not actually working (laughs) you know you know what I mean
1: yeah hoping that you, you you keep seeing some response off of that especially during this time i know it's man it's it's got it's got to be disheartening you know and and right now it's but it leaves a a void uh to think about different creative outlets and to i mean people are doing instagram lives facebook lives um oh yeah but i mean that isn't that isn't what you want to do because like I feel like just from what I've seen from recordings and live videos, it's like seeing you live. It's just that's where you want it. That's where it is.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of a joke and it's kind of kind of true, but yeah, I I try to use the tagline that I'm here to put the trying country, and I feel like to see that is actually you know, the proof in the live show. Like we put we care a lot, you know. I I, I think that. Uh, I've been able to cobble together an incredible band. Uh, my bass player that St. Harmony, Grant, he's uh, he's also from the same town in Arkansas, and we both ended up in New Orleans at the same time. So like, there's, there's more than just uh, than just kind of like a country band you're seeing up there. Like, there's a lot of context to it, and I feel like that, that, that live show, we can't replace that for anybody. Like, all these folks that are missing out on getting to play live, every, every person like me out there that's also sitting on their hands and wondering if they're ever going to tour again, like, that's really what makes this music for people like you can't you can't get what you need out of this from the internet like I, i am all about uh people just doing what they're going to do at shows whether it means like crossing your arms and standing in the back or drinking your way through it but partner dancing is really what brought me into this style of country and brought me into new orleans and i think partner dancing is going to save rock and roll and i just (laughs) i just uh I feel funny playing through a, a cell phone and I can't hear any boots scooting around on concrete or see <laughs> anybody getting twirled. Or, you know, there's, there's just not the same participatory uh, sort of reaction. And I, I know everyone's feeling that, but I think people from New Orleans that are from that scene and used to this dancing thing have got to be extra deflated because we're used to being able to go out five nights a week and see your friends play if you wanted to.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's, that's wild, man. Like I've That's the first time I've heard it put back this way is just being on the other side of the live video it's like mm-hmm. I, I i didn't even think about that nick and so like you're used to hearing the crowd responding and now you're just playing to a telephone
3: oh it's it's utterly bizarre just seeing that little screen there and you're like okay well i'm assuming that somebody's watching <laughs> it's like I, I guess this is working yeah like, it, it's it's a weird it's You know, I'll be honest, like, it's pretty, uh, it was pretty jarring, the first, the first, uh, streaming thing I did, because I was like, well, that was, that was just weird. It was just extra weird to do that, and it, it felt good for a second, I got to, like, crack jokes, and, like, you know, sort of screw around, but I realized I wasn't hearing any laughs, and there wasn't any response, it was just sort of me in this room, and it just felt so, so weird.
1: It is, man. Like I, I think about that. Like when I'm making promo videos for things, it's like uh when you go back and look at the edit, and right before you're about to post it, it's like you'll laugh. But I wonder if anybody else is laughing. But then you're live, <laughs> and you're yeah. just you're telling the joke, and be like, "Well, that normally is cool, but I don't know what anybody is doing."
3: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 too weird. It's way too weird. <laughs> Yeah,
1: man, I want to talk to you uh, a little about influence today, man. Who are you listening to right now?
3: Ooh, well, okay, so I, you know, I go back and forth between uh, between being heavily in music and heavily in radio, but I've been listening to a lot of uh, podcasts. Um,
1: yeah, do that. I, I've
3: been, yeah, I, I, there's this um, there's this episode I'm trying to get people to listen to, this show called uh, The Anthropocene Review. And it's this guy that does the human experience on a five-star scale. Yeah. So it's like Taco Bell breakfast, love at first sight, you know, <laughs> one to five stars. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he does uh, basically end-of-the-world paranoia on a one-to-five scale, and it's one of the most comforting pieces of radio I've uh, I've heard in a while. It really made me feel a lot better about the situation and get a couple good laughs in because
1: <laughs> awesome. as somebody
3: who... Who, who thinks way too much about this stuff anyway? I don't want to be right. I've never wanted to be on the like the oh that actually happened side of being afraid of bad things. Yeah, so, ain't it weird it,
1: living it was... in history?
3: <laughs> yeah, I know. See, I'm like I'm stepping over periods and spaces here. Like we're in the books as they're being written, and it's it's the it's a weird feeling. Yeah, but in <laughs> music though, I I was uh, turned on to this really. Cool group of uh, Hawaiian singers who I am just straight up not going to try to pronounce that uh, my friend Kalei got me into. And they're they're like, it's the same kind of wobbling, high break sort of sound that you hear in uh, in a lot of uh, singing traditions world over, but it's got these echoes that sound like they made their way in and out of American country music and of course like the steel guitar in American country music like that's a descendant of a, of a Hawaiian instrument so it's just interesting to hear these these tangential uh, connections between Hawaiian traditional and American country music
1: yeah man I tell you what it's, uh, it's cool talking to you Nick uh, and just hearing you talk about the different genres and like what you take from them and then I think about what you do and you preserve it in what you do uh
3: well you, thanks
1: that, that, yeah because no, I mean, i'm not any good
3: at anything else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no nah, i mean that's just it just just from this whole you know time of talking with you is like you want to talk about how uh the preservation of the sound of the voice or the whistle or whatever makes that style genre right and then mm-hmm. the and then the preservation of it, man. It's uh, uh, that's refreshing, man.
3: Well, I think that speaks to not just sort of like an attitude about music and in uh, and, and place where you know I feel, you know, Alabama and Arkansas and Mississippi all kind of op- operate on this bottom rung sort of deal with the with how we're perceived, yeah. and I think that Arkansas, especially, people don't know anything about (laughs) our... I think a lot of people think it's near the Dakotas because the unfortunate fact is Anglo-Americans pronounce Kansas as Kansas. Right. so there's Kansas and so people think we're part of the Great Plains. But I I just feel like I've had a a weird job to sort of uh, be a a cultural liaison to an extent of this place that's poorly understood and not many people leave. And it kind of comes from this natural science background where I feel like preservation and conservation... Yeah, just, they should be natural aspects of the cam- conversation. They don't have to be aspirational. It should just be a reflex, you know. Yeah. And that should apply to, that should apply to music and pretty much anything else that's worth preserving. You know, there's things worth keeping and there's things worth not. But i I, I think that there's uh, there's plenty that worth keeping about uh, traditional country music. That's just it's it's not like it's too hard. It's just uh, we haven't quite gotten there. And I think uh, I'm I'm glad to be part of the solution. I guess.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. I uh, back that. Uh, and so, just, I guess, kind of back on it, just a little bit more about the influence. And I guess just today with your songwriting. Um, mm-hmm. And what maybe just some of the songs that we're going to share here is, um, where does it come from? Like, to talk about your primary instrument a little bit or just maybe what the process looks like. Does it come from uh, a bird call at first, or
3: where it, Where's it come yeah. from? Yeah, so the the whistling and the wobbling and stuff, I, I guess I should back up with sort of the mechanical aspect of any song I write is that I, I really get melodies stuck in my head first from whistling, and I, I figured out this kind of break uh, octave, uh, whistle that sort of sounds like a yodel so I can I'll get these little ditties stuck in my head and then I'll take that ditty and stretch it out and then I'll I'll put that to a guitar and I never really learned to play guitar like a normal Americana country songwriter I just I'm a drummer so I just boom chuck it you know yeah. like a washboard
1: yeah you got so a totally this, different uh, mind about it
3: yeah that's just ignorance so I just I just do this boom chuck <laughs> behind it and I think the, I think those ditties and the ditties turn into gibberish, and then eventually I'll put a song around it. But usually I've got some kind of little phrase, a little uh, some so, something maybe that I got, I got uh, in a heated moment and said something I thought was halfway clever, or somebody said something halfway clever to me and it stuck. But there's usually little phrases, little things that are floating around up there, and I pull that into the gibberish, and then that becomes a song. But really it kind of does start with the whistling, like when I'm just bored and walking around or you know thumbing around on the guitar i'll i'll definitely uh whistle before i hum yeah and uh all this all this stuff is melody first uh lyrical content re- later usually so that's uh that's kind of the mechanical mess and bolts it is that i'm I'm really just drawing this stuff out of random inspiration
1: yeah cool man that's uh that's cool is um i've just been having conversations over the past couple of days we've been doing like a uh porch talk quarantine song challenge and oh, uh, cool. been you know it was like and one thing that came to mind that normally wouldn't but is like it's a primary instrument over a secondary and uh um, mm. i heard it I th- it was rem a couple of days on some serious radio channel where i you know i just heard like a clip of an interview And, uh, the the front man talked about the importance of, it was important for all of us to be able to write on instruments that weren't natural to us, so that we wouldn't get into a rut to where we would always sound exactly the same. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, I accidentally
3: did that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Damn, that's super smart. Yeah, I, I, uh... I think that, that it is totally true of my guitar playing, I can't even borrow a chord. So I'm definitely stuck in like three keys and three capos and that's definitely <laughs> yeah. not
1: that's all I got. But man, yeah, it's cool talk. Yeah, man, and, and I thought about that and so like right now it's like guitar is my primary and I have uh I'm saying keyboard is my secondary but I'm limited because it's just like a little Kai um thirty six key kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's just like for me to go to my beat laboratory. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, but um, but it does like when I flesh things out, and I can hear it on keys. You know, you can hear things differently on the keys than you do on guitar, and you can flesh things out. Right, and I
3: feel like what I've been writing so far in quarantine, I've I've caught myself suddenly like taking a stab at fingerstyle style guitar and having more more of these like sort of almost piano esque you know, walking bass um uh American I primitive sounding like uh guitar stuff and that's definitely not what I'm good at playing is what I'm like trying to eke out every every time I pick up guitar is gets a little less terrible but I've been finding myself singing over that and trying to sing over that and it's been a nice new hill to climb, uh where I feel like there's been some cool melodies and stuff coming out of screwing around on, on guitar that way, and it's pretty much new to me. So I I, I see what you're saying, that there is some sort of like weird, uh, sort of uh, uncanny light that you can uncover when you're uh, just making your way through an instrument.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just like a totally different presentation of how music works.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, which <laughs> I'm... I'm no no uh, no expert on but uh, Me, I gotta that's I, that's, I think, that's about <laughs> as deep as I can go. <laughs> I was gonna say something that is not just something that I like can't pursue because I'm too busy doing other stuff. Like it's really time. I'm sure most, a lot of people have had nothing but time. And yet, you know, I've got two or like a am and a half maybe out of it. It's teaching me something about process, too, where I've been able to stagger most of my songs over the course of months that I'm writing and putting them together, and then I bring them to the band and then eventually we record them, whereas now it's just, it's just me and the claw. So <laughs> I'm, yeah. uh, I'm learning how to, uh, how to actually make myself write, because otherwise it's just uh, it's something I wait, and I'm not I'm not just going to wait around on this mountain to get struck by lightning forever, so I, I need to actually kind of make myself, like, time to, to write it, so it's,
0: this has been a lesson in discipline amongst
1: other things. deep How y'all hanging in there? We're going to spend a little bit more time on Critical Review on uh, just rough drafts on songwriting.
3: Hey, I don't, I mean, I'm really glad I belong to the group of songwriters I do, and now, I, we did this before to an extent, but now it's definitely, like, become more regular for me to, to send drafts of these songs on voice memo to my buddies and, like, Get get stuff back from them and whatnot. I've, you know, I, I've been working on this one song that's sort of a I don't, I don't know if you've listened to that "Sinks and Waterfalls" one enough to know anything about the lyrical content, but it's sort of like an addendum uh, expansion on a lot of the themes there and happening upon this this canal that's being dug at the Battle of Vicksburg, where my great 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 grandfather was. You know, supposedly starving, and swam across the river when the town fell and everything like that. But I Man. found this place that where they had been uh, building this canal, and his unit had attacked the, this this uh, group working on it. and It was just a very dark, weird, weird thing to confront. And it's down in this cotton bottom with like levees all around it. And there's Native American mounds that are uh, you know just a few miles down the road. And I was just like, this is such a a terrible place that I yeah. have to drive through it to, to you know confront this part of myself and then get back down into New Orleans. And i basically got back down and immediately had to pack up and you know get out because of quarantine conditions so i went from you know driving through louisiana coming from a funeral to a pandemic to back to arkansas so it's, it's been a whirlwind bit uh, and you know the trite advice i always get out of that is you know well at least you might get a song out of it and at least it's true this but you know it's it's there's a lot to confront and i think uh I think nothing but time is really the only way I'm gonna get it done. So I'm I'm grateful for it in that
1: respect I guess. Absolutely, man. And some of the songs that I've been writing lately is been things that happened ten years ago. Oh man. You know, it's yeah, I-, I just I just had time to kinda of like process and be like I know what it meant then and now I look back and I was like I got a totally different perspective.
3: Right, and that's what's kind of brilliant and crazy and scary about these songs. Oh, they're like just weird time capsules. Like sometimes a song is written—at <clears throat> least for me—and it's just—it's a matter of the fact that you're not actually going to write it for years. I've had—I've had a couple of those where I knew that song was done. It was just going to take the challenge of sitting down and writing it, but it was going to be hard, or it was going to hurt, it was going to be scary in a lot of ways, whichever way it was. Yeah. And, it's just amazing how that strikes. It really is. And I I, I would say that, yeah, kind of what to like, expand on earlier, like, just be gentle on your time. Like, don't, don't try to force anything out. It's been a tough team, fun. And I, I'm just trying to keep this, this aspect of life still fun because Lord knows it's, we might be looking at the future where I'm, like, driving around on the back of my truck bed uh, with a loudspeaker playing to people on back roads <laughs> because we can't gather. <laughs> yeah, <You're laughs>
1: right. Who
3: knows, who knows what this looks like long term? So, I mean... I'm trying to to
1: still find joy in in music, and uh, forcing myself to write songs is part of that right now, but maybe we'll get there. Yeah, man. Well, um, just to walk the thing on on out the door, uh, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Just for those listening, uh, ways to find you on social media and to connect, um, and what maybe to look for in the next couple of weeks or months.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm all over the World Wide Web. Uh, you mentioned YouTube and all that. I've, I've definitely got my, uh, my fair share of those, but Instagram, I'd say, is the most uh, active place for me. followed closely by Facebook. I've uh, got a website in the works, and that's uh, that's going to have more of my art and uh, interactive stuff on it, but it's currently just kind of a link to everything else. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've got an art Instagram. I've got a, a regular music Instagram that's you know very regularly updated and where i do the live streams and stuff but i think uh more than anything just expect uh expect me to keep coming on there and singing songs periodically and uh i don't know i was hoping to record the spring but that's uh, probably not going to happen and i i would like to be able to sell merch but i had to split from new orleans i my lungs collapsed twice when i was younger so i don't uh I don't really screw around with upper uh pandemic uh, plague kind of thing. So I I got yeah. the hell out of New Orleans for a variety of reasons, but one of them being <laughs> I'm at least assuming I'm some sort of uh, preconditioned uh, susceptible person. So I, I left all my merch behind. I'm going to be able to sell that stuff yeah. eventually. So I, I guess uh, all I would say is keep an eye out in a few weeks, and hopefully I'll be back down there and I can uh, start, you know, throwing shirts and cds and tapes and stuff back out in the world but my friend who uh who i make tapes with he just sold out of the last of his cassette of uh, both records and i've got a huge crate of them down there and can't touch them so all i would ask is a little patience i'll be able to be back on the World worldwide web selling stuff sooner than later
1: yeah man well cool uh anything else to add or subtract before we walk this on out the door
3: Woo! Nothing I can think of. If you want to hear more New Orleans bands, I'm affiliated with. I made a Spotify playlist called uh, "UnAmericana," and uh, I would just suggest listening to my friends. I'm uh, amongst—I'm just a face amongst some very talented
1: people. Yeah, man. All right, Nick. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. It's been a pleasure.
3: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Seriously.
1: Yes, sir. News and notes. Hey, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you so much for listening to Port's Talk. If you haven't done so already, I would ask that you would rate and review the show on whatever platform it is that you listen to on. We are on the YouTubes, the Facebooks, Instagrams, and Twitters. You can find us there. All things good, related and unrelated to the show. Now, going to walk this thing on Out the Door with a song by Nick Shoulders and the OK Crawl Dads. It's called Mississippi. Getting on out of here. Peace out.